Christians believe that aren't actually even in the Bible. I hear a lot of Christians say stuff and I'm like, do you even Bible? That's not in the Bible. You know, so many things that we believe and we say and we build our lives on that have taken the Bible out of context. And so we're living, listen, diluted, ineffective, powerless Christian lives. So we're asking the question, do you even Bible? Do you even Bible? Because I want to let you know that the Bible is so powerful. The Bible, the Word of God is amazing. The Word of God will change your life. I have learned so much from this book. I have two degrees, but I learned more from this Bible than any other book I've read. Any course you could do, I've learned more from this than anything else. The Word of God has reshaped my thinking, coming from an unchurched background and a dysfunctional family and my own dysfunction. This has transformed my life. Reading the Word of God has taught me and changed me and reshaped me and inspired me. It has given me hope. It has told me who I truly am. It has inspired me. It has propelled me into what God has for me. The Word of God is amazing. And I have this insatiable appetite for the Word of God because it's alive and it has changed me year after year after year. I have this saying that I kind of live by, and it's just this, but first, Jesus. You know how there, there are like little plaques that we can buy, like decor plaques that say, but first, coffee? So I've decided, but first, Jesus. So some mornings when I go to the gym, I go to the gym at 6 a.m., but I get up early enough that I can have my protein shake and put my shoes on and just read the Bible because, but first, Jesus. But first, Jesus. And some days I'll read it at, the, at night, at the end of the day as well. So I'm like topping and tailing my life with the Word of God because it changes who I am. It's powerful. It's alive. And so we want to ask you, do you even Bible? Do you even Bible? Do you know what? Life is a test. But it's an open book test. All the answers you need to life are in here. We wrestle, we wrestle, we wrestle. But the answers are right here. Do you even Bible, bro? Like it's in here. You're not going to fail this test if you Bible. If you apply what the Word of God says, you're going to win. It's an open book test. And what we need to know about the Bible before we consider anything else about the Bible is this. The Bible is a love letter from God to us. The whole Bible is a love story. I sometimes create these opportunities at home with my kids where we close the door and we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to the kids. And I ask them just to practice hearing the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing that every time I ask them, what did God say to you? The first thing they say is, he told me he loves me. The first thing God wants you to know is that he loves you. And that is the crux of this whole thing. This is a love story from God to us as his people. He loves us so much. So the first thing we need to know is that God wants to tell us how much he loves us. The second thing we need to know is that every part of this Bible, every part of the Word of God points to Jesus. Every part of the Word of God is about Jesus. It's all pointing to him. 
and even the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of him. And so the life of Jesus, the cross, splits both testaments in half. It also split time in half. We've got um, BC and AD. The cross, Jesus, split everything right down the middle. It split time in half and it splits the Bible in half. We have the Old Testament, which is pre-Jesus, and we have the New Testament, which is post-Jesus. Just like in time, we have BC, which stands for before Christ, and we have AD, which is Anno Domini, which means after his birth. It is the, the year of the Lord. So basically, all of time is split in half by the cross, and so is the Bible. And so we read the Bible, and we need to understand it all points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. It's either pointing to him as coming or back to him as being. And we need to live understanding that. We also need to read the Bible understanding that. So in the Old Testament, on one side of the cross, we have stories and we have things that did actually happen, okay? These are not metaphoric ideas or concepts. Noah's Ark actually happened. Creation actually happened, okay? This all happened on this side of the cross. And then we have all the events on this side of the cross, And so we need to, when we read our Bible, understand this. And this is kind of what I want to get around tonight. So right at the beginning, I want to just tell you a few stories about how the Bible works, right? Right at the beginning, we see Adam and Eve on this side of the cross, as far this side of the cross as you can get. You have Adam and Eve, God's perfect relationship with human human, um, kind, his own son and daughter who he created with his own hands in perfect relationship. We call him the first Adam. And so here's Adam and he does the one thing God tells him not to do. The one, you had one job, Adam, one job. He does the one thing God told him not to do and through his disobedience, he brings sin into the world. He brings sin and death and hurt into the world, the first Adam. But fast forward this side of the cross, we see the second Adam, Jesus, and through his obedience brings forgiveness and healing and restoration back into the world. Everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Then we have the story of Noah, this guy who lived in the desert. And you need to know up until this point, the earth had only ever been watered by dew. They had never seen rain before. And God speaks to this guy and he says, I want you to build an ark because I'm going to send a flood. He's like, what's an ark? I live in the desert. And what's a flood? Because I've never seen rain. And God tells him, he gives him the dimensions and he tells him to build an ark. So this guy, Noah, is ridiculed by everyone around him and he builds an ark. Now the reason God wants him to build an ark is because he's sending a flood. And the reason for the flood is that God wants to eradicate all the sin and horrid stuff that's going on in the earth. He wants to just start again, wipe it clean. So Noah builds an ark and brings salvation back into the earth. Fast forward over here, we have Jesus who comes to eradicate all the sin from the earth, all the hurt from the earth, this time not destroying the world, but rescuing the world. 
everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Then we have over on this side of the cross, we have Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham's this man and God said to him, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, countless descendants. Abraham's like, I'm 100 years old and I even have one child, right? But God promises him and he believes it. Eventually he has this promised son named Isaac and God says, all right, I want to test your trust. I want you to offer Isaac to me as a sacrifice. That's pretty gross, right? It's pretty like horrific when we think about it these days. But he takes his son Isaac and they walk up a hill. And on the way up the hill, Isaac's like, Dad, what are we doing? And some people say that Isaac was old enough to know exactly what was happening. Some people say he was 12 or 13 years old and he willingly went with his father, trusted his father. And we know that he gets to the top of the hill with his dad and, God, and Abraham's like, God's going to provide, God's going to provide, God's going to provide, God's going to provide. He loves this son that he's been promised, promised for so long. And just as he's got his hand up with the dagger, God says, stop. Now I know that you trust me. And he looks over and there's a, there's a ram caught in the thicket. And God has provided an alternative sacrifice. Fast forward over here. God's only son makes his way willingly up a hill. Except this time, he's the ram. He's the lamb caught in the thicket. He's the one that goes willingly obeying his father, not struggling, not resisting, just like Isaac did once, because everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And then we fast forward again and we see Joseph, this young man who's the youngest of, of many brothers and his brothers despise him. And they want to sell, they want to kill him. But instead of killing him, they sell him for a few pieces of silver. He gets sold as a slave. He goes into the slave trade. From there, he gets framed for something he didn't do, gets thrown into prison, completely innocent. And then he goes through 13 years of unfair treatment before on the other side of this 13 years, he finally actually becomes the prime minister of Egypt because he's got this amazing work ethic, his brothers and father come in in the middle of a famine and ask to buy food from the Egyptians. And who do they meet? They meet Prime Minister Joseph, who they don't even recognize because now he looks like an Egyptian and he's a grown man. And he looks at them and he says, you know what, God, what you intended for evil, God turned around for good so that I could save you in this time of famine. Fast forward over here, another young man, who is hated by his brethren, who want to kill him. He also gets sold for a few pieces of silver. He also gets punished for things he did not do. He's completely innocent and framed and set up. And he ushers in forgiveness for the very ones who hurt him. Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament. Over here, are you getting this? Moses. Moses. God raises up this man to deliver his people because they keep messing up. They keep messing up and they keep getting themselves in trouble. And now they're in slavery and they've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And God says, these are my people who I love and I've heard their cries for help. And I'm raising up this man named Moses. Moses is known as one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. He leads millions of Israelites out of captivity, out of 400 years 
of captivity. He leads them out. He leads them through the wilderness and he leads them out of captivity. Fast forward over here. God raises up the ultimate deliverer. The deliverer who for once and for all is going to set us free from our captivity. We're going to run out of our tombs, out of our captivity, out of the things that bind us up and hold us bound because of Jesus. But you know what? This time, there's freedom forever. This time, we're not going back to slavery. This time, he's the ultimate deliverer. And then we see... As, as Moses is leading them through the uh, wilderness to the promised land, they come to this mountain called Sinai and they ask God to give them Ten Commandments. God's like, guys, when will you get this? I love you. I just want to be in relationship with you. They're like, no, no, because human nature wants to cross T's and dot I's. Human nature wants a checklist. Human nature wants to just fit inside a box. You tell me the bare minimum and I'll do that. And so God's like, well, if you have to, send Moses up. I'll give him 10 commandments. So he gives him 10 commandments and Moses comes back down with these rules that they can never... And the rules really are to try to keep them in right relationship with God, which they already had. Except rules can never save people. Rules can never save people. Only God can save us. So we fast forward over here. When a man comes who fulfills the law, He fulfills the law. He's the only one that can fulfill the law fully. And here he is. He pays the price for what generations have fallen short of. All the generations before him, all the generations after him who could never fulfill the law, Jesus stands in our place, pays the price that was indebted our debt, and he stands in that place. He fulfills the Ten Commandments. And then we meet this other guy, Joshua. I'm just giving you a fast track through the Bible. Do you even Bible? We meet this young guy, Joshua, who takes over from Moses. And they're camped outside their promised land. And Joshua's the guy to take them out of, into the promised land. Moses brought them out of Egypt. Joseph takes them into their promise. And we fast forward over here, Jesus, who takes us into our promise. Where, jo- where Joshua, sorry I said Joseph, where Joshua took the people through the Jordan River, which is a sign of baptism, it's a sign of dying to the old and living in the new, Jesus takes us through our Jordan, our death and resurrection into the promise of God once and for all because everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Then we meet David, King David, this young kid the youngest of all his brothers. And again, Israel have asked for a king. God's like, you don't want a king. Can we just be in relationship with each other? Why do you need a middleman? They're like, we want a middleman. Fine, I'll give you a middleman. So he gives them Saul. Saul sucks as a king. So he, he asks Saul and he goes, I've found another one with a heart after my own heart. And he's of the household of Jesse. And so he gets the prophet to go to Jesse's house. Jesse goes, uh, the prophet goes to Jesse's house and he's looking at all his impressive sons, all these big, mighty guys. And God's like, not him, not him, not him, not him. And the prophet's like, God, they're all awesome. He's like, no, no, you're looking at the outward. I'm looking at the heart. And so the prophet says, well, is there another one, Jesse? Are we missing something here? And he's like, oh, actually, yeah, there is another one. Can you imagine being that guy? Like your own dad forgets about you. Yeah, there's David, but he's looking after the sheep. 
send for him. And as soon as he walks in, God says to the prophet, that's my guy. So they anoint David, and David, in, in this awkward season before he becomes king, because the King Saul still wants to be King Saul, um, he finds himself on the battlefield in front of this giant named Goliath. And all of Saul's army are petrified, they're afraid, they're backing away for the, from the fight. They've been there for over a month. These are trained men who are like shaking in their tents. And this young shepherd boy goes, what's going on here? And he comes out and faces Goliath and takes him down with a slingshot. Fast forward this side. Jesus is one of David's lineage, also from Bethlehem, like David was. Jesus was the most unlikely of his brethren, a baby. Jesus also faced up to the Goliaths of our souls and took them down. Jesus was also known as the good shepherd who led his people back into the heart of God. Jesus was the, was the completion of the foreshadowing of the life of David. What about Job? Have you read Job? Do you even Bible? Job is painful to read. This is a story of a man where God and the devil have a cosmic conversation. And and God's like, yeah, all right, take your best shot. I'll let you have your way with Job. Just don't take his life. So the devil is allowed to strip Job of his family, of his wealth, of his health, of everything. And God's making a point. I promise you that he will not curse me. He will not turn his back on me. And he didn't. He didn't. Fast forward over here. (laughs) Jesus, the one who God allowed the enemy to have his way with. But this time was the last time. This time was the last time. And Jesus willingly took it all, copped all the loss, all the pain, all the brokenness, all the rejection. Not only did he take it, he bought it back. He bought it all back and restored it. That was the last time. That was the last time. And then we read about Jonah. Yes, even Jonah is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jonah is a story about this rebellious guy. Anyone else? Hello? God says, Jonah, I have a message that I want you to take to the Ninevites. And Jonah's like, I don't like the Ninevites. I don't want them to get saved. I'm not taking your message to them. And he goes in another direction, the opposite direction. When he's on the boat to Tarshish, the opposite direction of Nineveh, God causes a storm to break out. The sailors are like, is this your fault, Jonah? He's like, yes, it's my fault. Throw me overboard and I promise you the storm will cease. So they throw him overboard. (laughs) He's in the water and he gets swallowed by a fish. Yes, this actually happened. And he's in the belly of a fish for three days, comes out, (laughs) he gets spewed out onto dry land and God says, are you going to go to Nineveh? And he's like, okay. So he goes to Nineveh and all of the city gets saved. Okay, fast forward over here, Jesus, who willingly takes the message to all of God's people, spends three days in darkness after he's buried and brings life and restoration to all people. Jesus comes. Jesus himself finally appears on the scene. 
after however many stories, however many you know, directional, intentional moments that God has with people telling them, I love you, I'm sending someone. I love you, I'm sending someone. Jesus finally arrives. He finally turns up and he helped and healed many people. He was undoing all the lies of the enemy. He was fixing everything that was wrong with the world. He is our rescuer. He kept reminding us while he was here of the Father's great love for us. He fed 5,000 people like it was nobody's business. Do you know why? Because that's what God does. He creates something out of nothing. It's his business. He reminded us over and over again that God takes what's hungry and fills it up. That God takes what's wanting and makes it whole. That God takes what's lacking and makes it abundant. He reminded us over and over and over again that he would do anything. He would give up everything and he would stop at nothing to get us back. Jesus became friends with the friendless. He honoured the ones who are disgraced. He valued the marginalised. He saw the discarded. He touched the unclean and he loved the unlovable. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything God was trying to tell us for hundreds and hundreds of years. He's finally here. And then the cross, another tree, just like Eden. The tree that destroyed us was now turned around by the tree that set us free. The first Adam that partook of the tree and brought sin was undone by the second Adam who willingly went to another tree. And this Jesus spent three days in darkness, just like Jonah spent three days in darkness. And this Jesus was resurrected, just like Joshua went through the waters to bring God's people into their promise. The Bible is all about Jesus. Do you even Bible? The Bible is all about Jesus. He split time in half and he redefined our experience. And the title of my message tonight is would you redefine your experience? Although the Old Testament is helpful, we can't live here because it's only part of the story. And a lot of our wrong thinking comes from living out of the Old Testament when we take things out of context because we don't look at it through the cross. The Old Testament is only part of the story and it lacks power until we move it through the cross. A lot of things are taken out of context because we live here. While the Old Testament is helpful, it's amazing. It shows us the humanity and the shortfalls of everyday people like you and me who God used. It shows us the huge capacity of a person to take on so much hurt, to take on so much opposition and still come through it. The Old Testament shows us and reminds us how forgetful and stupid we can be. I mean, you only have to read about the Israelites to go, yeah, I do that. Yeah, I'm just as forgetful as that. I'm just as rebellious as that. The Old Testament reminds us and shows us also God's bird's eye view of his love and plan for people. But because it happened before the cross, it's only part of our story. And so I often hear people who are going through hardship quote Job. Do you even Bible? Because if you only Bible the Old Testament, 
you will quote Job to justify your hurt, your experience. But I just explained to us that Jesus changed all of that. The cosmic conversation over Job's life stopped with Jesus. The cosmic conversation over Jesus' life was the last cosmic conversation of that kind. Jesus put an end to God allowing things. God no longer allows bad stuff to happen. Do you even Bible? If you look at, at your experience through the lens of the cross, there no longer is room for that kind of thinking. Other people I hear quote Joseph. Well, you know, God did that in Joseph's life so that he could save Israel. Yes, that's true for Joseph, not for me. Not for me because of Jesus. God's not still trying to make a way. He already made a way through Jesus. So what was true of our friends in the Old Testament is not true of us post-cross. Where are you living? Do you even Bible? The whole Bible. As I was reading Luke this week, Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. The Old Testament was until John, John the Baptist, who came as a forerunner for Jesus. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. He split time in half. He put an end to the previous and started the new. We need to live on this side of the cross. We have to live on this side of the cross. I've got a little diagram for you that has helped me because my first point is you have to filter everything through the cross. All of your experiences, all of your Bible reading, everything that's ever taught to you, you need to filter through the cross. Because some things stopped at the cross, ceased completely. Some things were changed as they went through the cross. Some things went through the cross unchanged. And so we need to filter everything through the cross. Filter everything through the cross. I don't have time to tell you what stopped, what changed, and what passed through. But we only need to filter it through the finished work of the cross, the message of grace, the message of it is finished. It is finished. And the way that we know what God's plan is post-cross is found in a few words when the disciples asked Jesus how they should pray. Teacher, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so in Matthew, he teaches them how to pray. And the whole chapter says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, honoured, revered be your name. These words, your kingdom come, your will be done. These words, on earth as it is in, on earth as it is in the Old Testament? No. On earth as it is in heaven. What is heaven like? I want to tell you heaven is no more bad stuff. No more bad stuff. Am I promising you a life without challenge? Am I promising you no more problems, no more challenges? Absolutely not. Actually, the New Testament tells us over and over that there will be trials, there will be persecution, except we live in a place of victory. 
We live in a fallen world and an enemy who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy, except there are ones who are protected and there are ones who live in victory, who tap into the things of heaven. And we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth right now as it is in heaven. The kingdom now. Do you even Bible? The kingdom now. Jesus said, pray like that. And let your experience live at that level. In, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, not tomorrow. Now. That's what we believe for. There was a song written in 2009 by Matt Crocker and Reuben Morgan. And I just want to read you the lyrics. On that day when I see all that you meant for me, when I see you face to face, they're surrounded by your grace. All my fears swept away in the light of your embrace. When your love is all I need and forever I am free. Where the streets are made of gold, in your presence healed and whole, let the songs of heaven rise to you alone. No weeping, no hurt or pain, no suffering. You hold me now, you hold me now. No darkness, no sick or lame, no hiding. You hold me now, you hold me now. In this life I will stand through my joy and my pain, knowing there's a greater day, there's hope that never fails. When your name is lifted high and forever praises rise, for the glory of your name I'm believing that day. When the wars and violence cease and all creation rests in peace, let the songs of heaven rise to you alone. No weeping, no hurt or pain, no suffering. Hold me now, hold me now. No darkness, no sick or lame, no hiding. You hold me now, you hold me now. For eternity, all my heart will give, all the glory to your name. Isn't that exactly what Jesus died for? And he says to us, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. And that's what heaven looks like. Post-cross. Post-cross. God has personally been challenging me about the level of my faith. As a pastor, I meet with many people who are going through painful situations. And it's easy for me to justify their experiences in a mindset that goes, oh, well, maybe, maybe God this, maybe God that. And God's going, no, Carolina, get your faith back. Get your faith back. Post-cross. Post-cross. The finished work of the cross. He hung there and gave up his whole life and said, it is finished. And he didn't do it so I could live a half-baked faith. He did it so I could believe it with everything in me. Yes. And Cam said it so beautifully. And my second point, my first point is, filter everything through the cross. My second point is, get your faith back. Because this is the thing, we can often water down, as Cam said, we can downgrade the Word of God, the very words of Jesus, to the level of our experience. There's a diagram. I'm a diagram person. 
The Word of God's up here and the Word of God says no. Healing. Complete healing. Nothing less than complete healing. I hung on a cross for that healing for you. In the Old Testament, Isaiah said, by His stripes we are healed. Future tense. In the New Testament, Peter says, by His stripes we were healed. Past tense. But we can take the Word of God and we see it up here and our experience is here and we bring it down this way. And God's saying, Carolina, get your faith back. Get your faith back. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Regardless of what you see, keep believing. And as your pastor, I want to point you back to the cross. The finished, all-encompassing, perfect work of the cross. To live on the edge of your faith. On the edge. Live on the edge of your faith. Live on the edge of your faith. God, if you say jump, I'll jump. God, if you say give, I'll give. God, if you say move, I'll move. And I'll believe it. I'll just believe it. God's been challenging me to lay hands on people and believe that they'll be healed. God's been challenging me to give large amounts of money and believe that He's going to come through. God's been challenging me to witness to complete strangers and see them receive Jesus on the street. God's been challenging me to live post-cross and to get my faith back. To get my faith back. My Jesus did not die for a church that lives back here. He died for a church that would live here and bring an answer, bring hope, bring life. Live in fullness. Live in freedom. Live completely free. I ran out of that grave. I ran out of it. I'm not running back into it. Post-cross. Post-cross. The transformational supernatural power of the cross. The cross split everything in half. And I just want to challenge you. Do you even Bible? And what part of the Bible are you quoting over your circumstance? Because we learn a lot about ourselves on that side. But all our answers and victory are on this side. And it all must come through this filter. The finished work of the cross. His grace for you. His love for you. His unending faithfulness towards you. It all has to pass through this. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here tonight for the first time, a friend brought you or you found your own way here. I've been talking about a whole bunch of stuff and you're going, what is all this about? Maybe you're familiar with some of it. There's something stirring on the inside of you. I remember being in your shoes. Maybe you're back. Maybe you're, you've been away from God. Maybe this isn't the first time that you've heard, but you're away from God. I remember sitting in a meeting just like this and realizing that actually all of my past pointed to Jesus. 
All of my past pointed up to this very moment. I remember sitting in a meeting just like this and it was like breath entered my lungs for the first time. And the person preaching, he gave an invitation to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. And I responded to that invitation. I responded to come back to Jesus into a relationship with Him. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. And for me now, everything is BCAD, before Jesus, Amino Domini, living with Him. And I've never regretted that decision. That decision shapes everything in my life. And I walked out of a past and into a future that I don't deserve. And tonight, I want to offer you that same invitation that was offered to me. Do you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? Do you want to receive what He did for you on the cross in the fulfillment of everything you've strived for? He can fulfill that and set you into your future and an eternity with God. In a few moments, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you and you want to respond, I'd love for you just to wave, give me a wave, raise your hand so I know who you are. And it's just a sign between you, me, and God that you're making this decision and responding tonight. So on the count of three, you want to respond. I'd love for you to raise your hand. One, God loves you so much. Two, you need to know He's not disappointed. He's not mad. He loves you. He thinks you're amazing. You're here on purpose. Three, if that's you, would you give me a wave tonight in this place? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for a church that's on a journey. Father, I thank you for your word that brings life to us. I thank you that you bring hope to us. You bring expectation to us. Father, I thank you that you set us free. And Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the transformational power of your presence in our lives, God. Father, I pray that you'd continue to inspire us to take step after step after step after step in the direction of you, in the direction of who you are. Lord God, I thank you, Father, that you're, you are life, that you, you are wholeness, Father. For every person here who's living in a gap, for every person who's living in a struggle, Father, I pray that you would inspire us and encourage us to get our faith back to believe nothing less, to believe and believe and believe, to not justify, to not water down, but just to believe in the finished work of the cross with that hope and that joy and that expectation in our hearts. Father, I thank you tonight for healing in the name of Jesus. I thank you for breakthrough in the name of Jesus. I thank you for salvation in the name of Jesus, provision in the name of Jesus. I thank you that it was all purchased and won for us at the cross. We step into that in Jesus' name. We step into that in Jesus' name and we call it down every day, every single day until it becomes our experience. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet tonight? So good.